and welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens. Uh, I'm Debbie Elias, creator, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, those producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, sound mixers, sound editors, film editors, composers, authors, you name it, we talk to them. And as you can tell from my voice, I haven't been in studio the past two weeks, so I was pre-recording shows on Sunday night at home and sending them to Pam to air for you on Monday. You know, I'm doing my bit for the economy. When I don't have a live guest, I'll pre-record and not spend gas or sit in traffic for an hour and 45 minutes each way. Um, Also, I've been battling summer bronchitis, as you can hear, uh, for about a month now. But I'm not dead, so that's a good thing. Uh, Maybe, depending on who you ask. Uh, But one good thing is today's show. I'm very excited about today's show. I described it in my social media teases as weird and wonderful. Uh, Well, a wonderful part are our our two guests today. Um, Coming up at the midpoint of the show, writer, director, actor Adam Fair will be joining us to talk about his directorial feature debut, Pig Lady. Folks, truth is stranger than fiction. And boy, oh boy, this is a strange one. And I can't wait to talk to Adam about it. Pig Lady is based on true events of an Oregonian woman. For those of you that don't know your tenses and and whatnot, that is a woman in Oregon um, who killed people and fed them to her pigs. Uh, Yes, it is a horror film. Part of it is so absurd that you kind of have to chuckle at it. But And it is filmed there at the property where these events occurred. So I am very excited to speak with Adam about this little gem. And I have to say, some beautiful, beautiful nighttime cinematography in the film uh, from his DPs, Lion Mitchell, Chad Sano, and Garrett Ware. So really looking forward to that. But first, you're going to get to hear my exclusive interview with Writer-director John Garcia, Summoning the Spirit. I really like this film. It is an indie gem. It is, of course, a non-AMPTP film. Uh, Word an AMPTP film in light of the strikes. We wouldn't be talking to some of these people. Uh, But this is strictly independent. And it really is a sub-genre of the Bigfoot films, but it's a refreshing and fresh take on Bigfoot that melds legend with New Age metaphysical beliefs. It's got a 1960s Age of Aquarius hippie vibe, a touch of the supernatural, and a love and appreciation for our planet for Mother Nature. And yes, for all the horror fans out there, You stick around to the third act, and you got plenty, plenty of buckets of blood. This, I just, the film is beautifully shot. 
DP is Kevin Forrest. He really celebrates the location, the greenery, the sun. Um, it has part of the film. It has kind of a cult vibe to it as well, uh, which of course goes with the 1960s flow, and perhaps even a little bit of Timothy Leary thrown in there. Um, wonderful cast. Uh, Crystal Millie Valdez uh, plays our protagonist Carla. Ernesto Reyes is her husband. De- plays her husband Dean. And they leave the hustle and bustle of the big city and buy a home in a remote forest. And their next-door neighbors just happen to be kind of a woodsy cult. Um, They're expecting a baby. They have big plans. Dean is a writer. Um, But we quickly find out things are not what they seem in this pastoral and and idyllic place. And... um, There's a flesh-eating beast in the woods. That beast is Bigfoot, um, which I have to compliment John on. You'll hear us talk about it. Is beautifully shot by Kevin, but also beautiful, beautiful portrayal. Uh, Sean Sisson plays Bigfoot, and... Bigfoot is never blurred in this film. We Bigfoot is always at a distance, but we see Bigfoot plain as day, which is something different from most films about Bigfoot. But the entire film, one of the key messages and themes of the film that permeates throughout is keeping the spirit alive. And that spirit is the spirit of the forest and of Mother Nature. So... Without any further ado, because I think this is a 32-minute interview, so we may have to break when Adam uh, joins us later and then finish up at the end, but we'll see what happens. Uh, So take a listen to my exclusive interview with the wonderful writer-director John Garcia talking Summoning the Spirit. Hi, John. How are you? Doing good. I'm doing pretty good. Thanks so much for taking time to talk to me about your latest endeavor. Yeah, thanks for being interested in in talking about Bigfoot with me. I'm always up for talking about Bigfoot. I think Bigfoot is fabulous. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, the first thing that grabs you when you watch this film is the location. The location is absolutely beautiful. It's gorgeous, yeah. It, it's uh, Pendarvis Farm. It's where they have they host Pickathon in Oregon and uh, uh, outside of Portland. We're actually in Portland City Limits, but it's a, it's a big concert. You know, uh, singer songwriters from like all over the place, and and that structure, the wooden structures were built for that for that uh, event that happens once a year. And uh, Sherry Pendarvis uh, and her husband Scott own the property, and they're just uh, there's lovely, lovely people who are actually. Uh, uh, Bigfoot fanatics, and uh, and it all it all kind of it all kind of worked out, you know, that we shot there on that farm, you know, um, and, and most of most of it was just there. The bus, everything was just there, you know. Wow. The, the, those wooden structures were just uh, were just there, and it kind of worked perfectly. And then the house was like way on the other end of uh, 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 near Mount Hood, where mm-hmm. they shot The Shining, you know, in that in that whole uh, in that whole area. 
um, that, that hotels out there. Um, and, uh, and, and that, that area where they live is actually like, they've had Bigfoot sightings out there. They've actually had Bigfoot sightings out in another area that we're at too, you know? Oh, wow. Which is pretty, which is pretty intriguing, you know, whether you believe in Bigfoot or not, just, uh, just like the, you know, just all the, the folklore around, around the legend of Bigfoot is mm-hmm. pretty exciting. Yeah. The greenery, and this is, I love, because everywhere that, you know, your cinematographer, everywhere that Kevin Forrest points the camera, it's green, it's beautiful, you've got sunlight, you have varying degrees of light coming in with some nice sun flares during the quote-unquote orgy montage. Mm-hmm. But everything, even in the thick of the forest, there is still light coming through that gives us almost a supernatural or ethereal sensibility. It's just so visually beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, we were really excited about this location that we chose, and um, we expected to shoot more indoors, actually, um, inside the house and inside the barn and whatnot, but ended up being mostly an exterior, an exterior film, you know, and we had to cut down a lot of a lot of the Carla and Dean story, we had to um, cut it out to make room for for other things, and just hope that it was that it was there, you know, uh, story wise. But yeah, the location, the greenery, like making a, you know, a movie that's about sort of this this mysterious forest, this, this mysterious place, and this leg- legendary creature that lives in, in it is was uh, we were trying to communicate that, and that's why these people, this cult, is there, you know, because it's very special. Right, and but. considering you've got this whole group of mountain people and they're so connected to the earth, you want to showcase Mother Nature. Yeah. And you do that so beautifully. But you shouldn't be concerned at all about cutting out parts of the Dean and Carla storyline. You've got enough of that in there. We know exactly what's going on with them. Dean actually, for most of the film, is kind of a jackass. (laughs) Self-centered jackass at that. Carla, Crystal Valdez does a beautiful job with Carla. Um, You're really empathetic towards her. You like her. And you want to see her happy because clearly, hanging around Dean, she's not happy. Yeah. So we get all of that. And I think had you included more, we might have been too bogged down in that aspect of the story versus what we ultimately see unfold in the third act. Right. Right. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. As as a creative, you know, you 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 know, and as a filmmaker, you, you put it on paper and then you and you do what you have time to uh, on screen, especially at this level, at the indie level, you know. And so, yeah, I wondered. And mostly, my movies have been about relationships, you know, mm-hmm. uh, LGBT. Otherwise, you know, it's just been um, only about mostly about you know the way people connect and disconnect. And so, I think that's why I've I've. You know, I was trying to do more with that on the screen, and and also go deeper into all the other relationships. But but this this movie for me, like being mostly a character driven filmmaker, you know, kind of adding adding more of a plot driven narrative mm-hmm. is, is kind of is pretty new to me. You know, and uh, especially making a creature feature. You know, so but um, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. No, I think I, you you blended it all really nicely, John. And this still is very much character driven. It's the relationships of these characters. Jesse Taya is fantastic as Arlo. He just creeps you out from the very first time moment he appears on screen. 
with this big grinning smile and looking as a throwback to the hippies of the 1960s. You're just caught off guard and suspect, but he always has a smile on his face, which makes you more suspicious of his dynamic with everybody he's interacting with. You knock it out of the park with Isabel, uh, who plays Celeste. What a great find. She is amazing. And watching her interaction, her relationship, Celeste's relationship with Arlo, and Celeste's relationship and friendship with Carla is really interesting to watch because Celeste brings so much to the table as a true believer in this idea of keeping the spirit of the forest alive. Really wonderful. So you really have strong personal relationships happening here. Thank you. Yeah, I, I thought I thought so too. I thought so too. And we all want we all want you know as filmmakers like more time to delve into to some of these relationships. You know, um, but yeah, I, I believe that there was that there was enough there. We just you know I just you know you you, you make a film and you hope the you hope the audience picks it all up and it sounds like it sounds like you did. That's why like I just I just. Uh, yeah, I, I just I love hearing that. And, and Isabel, yeah, I, I mean, I was this is a non-union film, so I literally go looking all over the country, <laughs> uh, every every major in every major city, looking at all their all their actors. Atlanta and you know in the Miami area, of course, because we we cast our two leads from Miami. You know, New York and L.A. You'll find a lot of union folks, and so I, I usually end up going to Chicago. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, and I found her. She had been she'd only been a one short film, and she just had this this. Uh, you know this 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 look and the feel about her and and uh it was just uh yeah I, I i was really adamant that that she had to be celeste from the very beginning um and she brings like, a great uh, exuberance to celeste yeah yeah and she brought so much on energy mm-hmm. on, on set i mean she's just a firecracker you know and just really just like you know believes in and and what we're doing is you know, and and an art form. You know, filmmaking. She was so so excited and happy, and she just kind of, you know, she's she's pretty infectious. You know, and just like she was at Celeste. I mean, that was like that was her. <laughs> that's that's Isabel. You know, which is which is pretty cool. You know, that's how helps the whole vibe of the set when you have yeah. someone like that. It does. You know, and and Jesse is used to playing. He usually plays villains. You know. Yes, plays, I know. Yeah, he usually plays like like the villain, like the you know like the um, Al Pacino, you know like mafia type, you know. And so for him, you know, uh, he came in and you know and, and I you know we found a coach, you know, to kind of help him kind of find this zen, you know, a couple of coaches he worked with, but you know I don't know if he really needed it, you know, because he, he he stayed with me during the course of filming, you know, we're still you know we only had a, a few days to really get there, you know, and he looked at me on the way to that one you know early in the morning you know and he's like john don't worry i'll get it don't worry i'll get it you know and and uh he did it kind of he locked in like you know the second or third take of one of his first uh scenes and he just locked in and I, the other actor Ernesto pulled me aside he's like it's like a computer it just like just clicked just clicked on it was pretty cool and he also he had a pet spider you know in, in the basement that <laughs> he's like he's john i'm going i'm going full zen i'm going full zen on this you know he had a pet spider named frank you know <laughs> His, his, and his wife came to visit him during production, and he, his wife is, I think, scared scared of spiders. And he told her, like, don't kill Frank with spider. My oh, guy. my God. <laughs> well, Arlo doesn't harm things. You know, he might, no. be, he might be who he is, but he's still 
at his basis, kind of a, a hippie, uh, be kind to all things, and and he's uh, adamant about about the you know protecting the forest, but you know he also has a power trip of of some kind. You know, you know, as we see things develop about the character of Arlo as we move through the film, really into the the last part of the second act and then in the third act it's really fascinating but jesse maintains through the whole film he is the epitome of a charismatic cult leader very much so and he nails it perfectly and that's one of the great things with that you've done with this film john because you spin it so that we have a blend of the bigfoot mythology plus a new age kind of sensibility melded with the 1960s age of Aquarius thinking, and then you bring in the supernatural idea or the spiritual idea of the mother and the spirit and keeping the spirit alive. And I love how you meld all of that. So I'm curious, where did the idea for summoning the spirit arise? What was the impetus for this? And to bring these primary elements into play to bring this story to life. Yeah, and so Zach, the co-writer, and I, uh, you know, we we talked about making a, a, a Bigfoot movie uh, together, and and uh, I was in another writing group, and we were uh, with, with some other writers, and we were trying to develop a Bigfoot story as well during the pandemic, and it was and it's mostly because being in the Pacific Northwest, you can't avoid Sasquatch, Bigfoot. I mean, there's 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 statues everywhere. There's every, you know, there's every other car has a bumper sticker. You know, like there's there's sightings. You hear about sightings. You know, and I have a couple of friends who are who are who are full time. Uh, one's a full time Bigfooter. Um, they have a they have a museum out here, and uh, you know, I had a chance to go out and uh, and like Bigfooting with them. You know, in the middle of, you know in the middle of the night. Type thing, looking for Sasquatch, doing Bigfoot calls, knocking on the on the port, on the on a on, on a tree with a mallet, you know, with with the, letting the sound you know reverberate through the forest, you know, waiting for a knockback. All these things I put into the movie, and it was, um, you know, that that happened like pretty close to filming, but it was I'd already done a lot of research, you know, on like Bigfoot, the primate, and and then also the idea that Bigfoot is like this metaphysical creature, interdimensional creature, and that's why we've never seen. Uh, you know, a skeleton or anything like that. You know, it's just so I, I, I like the I like the, all those uh, ideas of uh, of who the Sasquatch is, and and if the Sasquatch is telepathic, you know, it, it you don't you know uh, it can read your thoughts, it, it knows your your motives, it knows who you are, you know, and and then we started you know me and Zach started developing this idea like you know well, well what is Sasquatch's purpose? You know, it's uh, okay, it makes sense. It would be to protect uh, the secret of the Sasquatch and other Sasquatches. You know, uh, if there are if there are some, you know, we didn't go into that in this film, but then so then we both borrowed from like Taoism, Catholicism, uh, Buddhism, and tried to create a mythology that 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 worked, you know. And so and so when we uh, we had the idea of of, the, of this of this stillborn, you know, and like the regeneration of of the earth and how it can, you know, um, how the things that we want in life can manifest and. And facilitate themselves in and in, in, uh, in a different way, where we can still get we can still get what we want, but but not in the way that we thought we mm-hmm. could. And that's kind of that's kind of how life how life is. And so we we're putting in all these all these different ideas. Also, the, you know, if, if, you know, it being a fish out of water story. You know, two people from Miami who are actually from Miami. You know, uh, 
live in Miami, coming to the Northwest, you know, some of it was, was pretty meta in that, you know, um, I liked the idea of, uh, of also, you know, my last couple of films of, uh, or a few of my films have been Latin oriented, you know, and me as a, as a Latin filmmaker myself, I like, I like to, I, I like telling stories with Latino people or about Latino people, you know, the next, uh, next couple I have coming up, um, uh, are, are that as well. And so I, I like the idea of telling, uh, you know, a Sasquatch story with, with, uh, with Latin leads, you know? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's also, it, you've got a broad appeal. This isn't a film that is only going to speak to the Latin community. Mm-hmm. It speaks to everybody. It's very universal in its ideals. So all the research that you did and what you and Zach pulled from different religions and cultures really all comes together nicely to have a global appeal. Cool. I hope. Yeah, I hope that, you know, and, and, uh, and even if you're like, you know, because there is that spirituality element yep. that's going through the, the entire film. You know, and I, I grew up very, very religious, but not as much anymore, but I'm still, I still consider myself spiritual. And so I think like, you know, universally, I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, who, who don't adhere to a higher power of some kind of, are probably spiritual in some way, you know? There's something that grounds us. There's something that's some sort of rule and you know guidelines we have for the way we live, the way we live our lives. And and so I just uh, yeah I was trying to find you know um, some parallels there you know for um, for people you know and um, there was this this scene where where Carlin Dean when they um, you know they put the ashes in the forest and and then they uh, they did the sign of the cross mm-hmm. uh, and I was. Uh, yeah, and I was asked to take to take that out um, because it it made it less universal and more specific to Catholicism, and so whereas I would have probably left it in there, I took it out, you know, uh, just to, just to make it more universal for everybody else. It's kind of kind of interesting. I love where they she goes with her necklace and she opens it and pours a little of the ash onto almost a, a little altar yeah, at exactly. a tree, and that's so beautiful. It's so poignant. It just, it works beautifully. And even the necklace, the pendant that she is wearing is very much, it's the sterling silver cabochon kind of jewel on top of it, which is very metaphysical for anybody that studies any kind of gemology or crystals. So I like that little touch that you did. Yeah, I kind of give it some magic, some magic. (laughs) So I've got to ask you, when you were structuring this, because just so people aren't disappointed, yes, there is still there are horror aspects here. Yeah. Quite a lot of them. But you kind of save it and you build up for us. So we get really shocked when things you shock us at the beginning of the film. And I like the commentary that you the subtext you provide with the opening of the film about how we treat the land, how we treat the forest. That was a very cool way to set the stage for what was going to unfold, where we have our two people in the woods out to do damage. And then you bring everything full circle with that third act. Was it difficult from a shooting standpoint, the way you have this structured in terms of the bloodletting that we do see within the film? Oh yeah, yeah. So so we did a lot of the blood and and gut stuff like at the very beginning of of the of production. So we had a lot of uh, 
and that and that was that wasn't by choice. It's just it just it was scheduling. It was a lot of it was a lot of things. We only had Sean who played Sasquatch for a short time. He was he had a trip he was going to go on, and so uh, and so we had to kind of move it all to the front, and um, and so I mean thankfully we had enough we had a lot of energy you know for that because by the time we're or, you know third fourth week of filming we were pretty tired you know. <laughs> You know, 12 to 15 hour days at times, you know, um, it was really tough. And so, um, but it was new to me, you know, like, uh, you know, the prosthetics, you know, um, Melissa Brockman, who made those, she, she, uh, she did an excellent job of making a lot of those from scratch and, and uh, all of them from scratch. She made, she made this deer carcass that was just, it's just amazing, just amazing, you know, and, uh, you know, and then finding out like the formula for blood that won't stain all that stuff but it's how much time that takes you know and how much time it took to put sean and uh in the suit about two and a half hours you know and um and on the first we only had two 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 um applications two facial applications for the bigfoot suit mm-hmm. um which you know and they're very expensive we got them from from uh petrol motion um to, uh to, together with them and greg hale uh helped us out with this with this little indie film you know um but we only had two of them and we couldn't afford to get any more, so we had to pretty much put those our two like our two scenes where we have close ups on Bigfoot. We had mm-hmm. to put them into two nights. And that first night, um, we uh, we we lost about about three three or four hours. Someone someone was injured uh, on the first take, and and, and they were fine. Um, they, they didn't take uh, their their um, their uh, medication that they normally take or oh. something. And, and, uh, and they were an extra, and so we had to seek get medical attention for them. And they were absolutely fine; everything was fine. But, but it was just we lost a few hours, and so we were playing catch up. And um, and so uh, we managed to get most of the shots we did that night. But then we had another overnight the next night, and we were still we we're still tired. And we, we decided not to use the the close up application for that second that second night. We just like we just we wanted to save it when we had more energy. But it was. Uh, it was tough. It was tough to add those elements. I mean, like, uh, this is the hardest film I've ever worked on, and I think partially it's because it was a horror film, and partially it's because we had that other element of the, of the creature and the mm-hmm. suit. And uh, in the overnights in Oregon, you know, are really, we, we had maybe like five or six hours of, of actual, you know, night, you know, before it gets light again, you know? So we had to move fast. And it was, uh, yeah, it was really. It was really, it was really hard. It was really tough. So, all those elements, you know, the horror elements, all that stuff, like that was all, it was all new to me. It was hard to put together, and also I was new to. And now I, I realize when you when you shoot, you know, um, action like that, you want to get as much coverage as possible, close ups, you know, like just as much so you, so you can cut it together. You know, I can't really shoot it the same way I shoot. Uh, I'll shoot a drama. Right. So it's all, and, and it's all about it's all about learning. Like you know, sometimes like multiple cameras might. Might have even been good for you know for, for for some of this stuff, but it's just I I learned a lot and it was a blast and it made me want to step away from just making um talk you know talkies like I normally do and and actually like you know let's try to look, let's up ante and, and just try some try some different things mm-hmm. you know and um something in the spirit you know was like just it's just one of those things I mean that's why it's so nice to talk to someone like you who 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 gets who gets all the nuances that were put into it because. Um, you know, it is a risk to make a movie about a cult that worships Bigfoot and a couple from Miami that moves next door to the cult. I mean, yep. it's like, it's a risk. It's a risk for everybody. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, who knows if it's going to make sense to anybody. I was reading a review where it was just like, you know, this is just a bad movie. It just, it just, it just, 
there's no critical thinking at all, you know, that's put into it, you know, and I was like, well, it's actually a lot, you know, I mean, I don't know, it was just, it was just, it's just interesting, like, you're gonna, you're gonna really land with some people and completely miss the mark with others, and, and I wish I was one of those filmmakers that could just put something out and not care what people think, but I'm, you know. You care. That, that, that eventually happened, after like a few months, that, that the movie would be out, but definitely, at this point in time, it's like, you know, what's the world think? Well, you know, something that you did that other filmmakers who have done Bigfoot movies that they haven't, that they don't normally do, what they typically do is they will blur the Bigfoot face. They will blur Bigfoot so you're not sure whether it was a Bigfoot or what you saw. You don't take that tact. You have, you have a scene. Now, most of the shots are at a distance with him just walking through the forest or bending down by a stream to get a drink of water. But you don't shy away from showing us Bigfoot. You're not hiding him. And I really like that. But you also keep a lot of mystery about him until that third act. But it's the fact that it's no secret that Bigfoot is wandering the forest. And we see him plain as day. And I appreciate that you did that. Thank you. Yeah, that was... Um combination of a couple of things I, i've seen this, this movie about bigfoot that's kind of like little known called letters from the big man it was filmed out in oregon too and they had shots where the bigfoot was just chilling sitting down on a log eating some grass you know and i was like i've never seen this before in any sasquatch movie and that and that suit was amazing it was, you know and i just loved it that was very inspiring to me and then um you know we we had maybe like i said we, just, we didn't have a lot of time with sean but we did shoot one day of just Bigfoot just walking through the forest, just, you know, just just kind of being Bigfoot. You know, we spent time, a little bit of time, kind of finding, like, the walk and the pace at which Bigfoot mm-hmm. would, would wander around the forest. And what, what is what is she actually doing, you know? And, you know, she's appreciating, she's appreciating nature. She's eating. You know, there's one where she's sleeping. She's getting a drink of water. I, I wanted to shoot some just, like, nature footage or, like, almost like, like gorillas in the nest type, type footage. And we, mm-hmm. shot, we shot a day, a day and a half of that, um... And, it, and we and then we ended up just just, uh, just sprinkling those shots here here and there, and we didn't really have enough of it, uh, you know, according to our uh, uh, distributor, um, Dark Star and Mike Repsch, and he had a, a great idea, like I think you should put more more Bigfoot in there, and so we did. We put more more Sasquatch, just being a Sasquatch, you know, and just you know, just just a little bit, you know. Well, and it gives great credence to the whole idea of keeping the spirit alive and the spirit that's out there and the manifestations that Arlo talks about. So it keeps telling us, yeah, he's there, he's there. He became omnipresent by doing that. So I'm glad you did that. Yeah, and it was Greg Hale. You know, Greg Hale was famous for um, for a lot of things, but he made, uh, he produced, uh, he was one of the producers of The Blair Witch in the 90s, and he and he helped us out with his film, um, you know, in addition, in addition to like being a, being a mentor of sorts and, and and telling me about creature motivation to remember that a creature has has mo- has motive. Yeah. And, and uh, you have to know what those motives are because it'll it'll drive the narrative. And at the same time, you know, he'd already made a Bigfoot movie uh, in 2014 called Exist, and he uh, and he's the one who who lent us that that suit from that movie. Oh. For, yeah, for this movie. So that was. A, a case of uh, you know of, of one filmmaker helping another you know and so uh, they were appreciative of that and we, we didn't really have a Bigfoot still 
until he came along and and uh yeah so i would be remiss not to ask you about your music and your sound because i have to say i love michael semper's music what he did the tribal sounds the wooden percussion sound percussive notes we have underlying but also how that's incorporated with the sound design where and this also goes to the omnipresent nature of bigfoot like a wailing almost tremolo kind of whine of the creature through the forest talk to me about create you know working with michael to come up with the score that he gave you and intertwining that with the sound because i think that's a, a wonderful aspect of this film yeah i think mike did a terrific job with, with, the, with the score i mean i think it's uh i mean i i don't shy away from from saying that you know definitely like you know the feel of, of, of midsummer was definitely inspiration you know one of the things that inspired you know uh you know the, the, some of the you know some of the you know the feel of the score and and uh, the trolls and whatnot, you know. Um, but like, you know, we wanted to create like this uh, this this feeling that the that the that the forest is a magical place, right? And mm -hmm. so along with all the greenery that that you're seeing, you're also you know you're also seeing uh, you're also hearing like the sounds, you know, this sort of this orchestra. This, this that's kind of um, how do we talk about it? It's uh, it's neutral. It's neither. It's neither good nor bad. It's just necessary. Is kind of what we talked about, you know, like wanting the, you know, it's it's sad that you know that 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 people have died in the forest, but it kind of has to happen because there's uh, there, it's very important to to keep this this primal creature and this idea and this secret alive. And so things happen that must happen. And so the music's very grand and and uh, and places and orchestraic and and haunting and it's uh and um it's uh and it's also it's also scary just like you know i was just trying to think of a you know of a of like a majestic creature in nature you know that's going about its day living its life and it's very beautiful but it's also prey you know mm -hmm. I, type thing and it's also a predator you know and the nature of of uh of, uh, of nature is is uh you know is is is, is, is it's uh, like forgiving and unforgiving type type thing. So so you know we talked about those ideas, you know, and we did a lot of back and forth, um, and also uh, um, uh, Tyler uh, Spencer is the one playing the didgeridoo, and he's he's uh, he's he's a, he's a renowned didgeridoo player uh, here in the area and and and, uh, and, and otherwise. And uh, I you know we brought him in, and he was uh, and he and Luis Hernandez who were playing. Um, music for the cult, you know, um, they they just improvise like those, those songs just just right there on set, you know, wow. right before. And we just found, you know, they found a beat, they found something that worked, and you know, and and they tried a few things, and uh, and we did it all live, you know. We did, we, you know, I was, you know, the the sound, uh, the boom operator asked me if I wanted to record a version without them making sounds, and I was like, no, let's just have it all live. I just wanted, I wanted to all kind of feel the music. And like, and like, you know, they're all dancing because they're trying to find their like inner primal self. You know, that's kind of that's like another theme of the film is like your truest self is at your core. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's there, it's there, it's there in nature. And let's get that that person out. So, you know, um, we did we did some animal work with a voice and movement teacher. You know, she was working with them through uh, um, through uh, you know through Zoom basically. 
but uh, I, I'm also an actor, and I'd done some animal work with her before, and it was very, like, it was very, uh, it was really, it was really intriguing. It was also a lot of fun. And, so. and that was my exclusive interview with writer-director John Garcia, and by the way, co-writer on Summoning the Spirit is Zach Carter. And it was just a ton, like three minutes left of the interview. Um, we may play that at the end of today. Otherwise, you'll hear it on uh, on the website, BehindTheLensOnline.net. But Summoning the Spirit is out right now, available on digital and on DVD. Just came out last, uh, last week. So check it out. And now, <laughs> oh, everybody's in for a treat now. I've got Adam Fair joining us to talk about a movie unlike any you'll ever see anywhere else, Pig Lady. Hi, Adam. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> I am so happy to be speaking with you about Pig Lady. What Thank a film. Me. What a film, Adam. Glad you liked it. Uh, aim to please. Uh, well, you certainly pleased me with this one. I this is and we're going to we're going to dance around certain things here today because uh because yeah. you're writer director and actor on this. Uh -huh. So for you know for SAG purposes WGA when you you know get into those unions I'm going to try and limit anything about writing and acting and focus okay. on the directing of the film. Um just so that Nothing will be st inhibiting you when it comes time to join those unions. Um, okay. So, but I got to tell you, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. And boy, oh boy, this is some really strange truth that you got going here, Adam. <laughs> yeah. You know, Dow, do you live in the, in the area? In, uh, in the Oregon no. area? How did you hear about... This tale, I know it's loosely inspired by the Susan Monica murders. I yes. I thought this might have been inspired by the massive murders uh, by a guy, I think Robert Pinkton or Pinkerton was his name in Canada, who was murdering prostitutes and druggies and feeding them to his pigs. Uh, uh, obviously, this is happening more than we know. Uh, yeah, this happens a lot. Yeah. So, how did you first hear about the story of Susan Monica and these pig lady murders? Well, I'm from Tennessee, but I moved out west for uh, movie making, and my buddy from Tennessee moved to Southern Oregon. So, every time I would go up there to snowboard or mountain bike, he kept telling me the story. And I wanted to make a movie, and everything lined up for this. Just weird stuff started lining up, and I felt obligated at that point to make the movie. But if it wasn't for him talking me into it, I probably would have never made it. <laughs> well, I'm glad he talked you into it, Adam. I'm really glad. Um, this movie, it's very well constructed. I have to compliment you on its construction. And also on how you're using the cinematography to tell this story. Mm -hmm. uh, because, number one, we don't see the pig lady, really, her face. Yes. 
So this could be, and it's a good thing too, because anybody that has, Pig Lady is played by Sandra D. Tryon. And she is, oh my God, her picture on IMDb, she is so happy and cute. You yeah, she's got a baby face. Uh, That's yeah. If we ever saw her on camera, we wouldn't believe that she could possibly be the pig lady. Exactly. Uh, so you did a tr- that was great thought that you and your cinematographers put into this uh, from that perspective because that mystery really yeah, well, that, that was kind of what I was uh, some some of my favorite horror movie characters you never really see their face. So I kind of wanted to do that, and like you mentioned, she has a baby face, so it worked out good. Yeah, you don't you don't want to show that. But what no. you also do, talk to me about, you've got this script in place um, that you co-wrote with Alex Johnson. Now, you're co-directing with Lion Mitchell, who also is one of your cinematographers. Alex and Lion are also your editors. Lion is also, he did your VFX here. And he's one of your composers. So we're talking, this is real, low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget filmmaking with multiple hats being worn by everybody. Um, so what, yeah. once you get this script in place, and you and Lion are going to sit down and you're going to direct this because you're also acting in it, and you're quite good as Hunter, I have to tell you. Um, where do you even begin to break this down? From a visual story standpoint, because your cinematography aids you so well with telling this story. So I'm curious about that directorial process of breaking this down visually. Well, for me, uh, getting on location and seeing where everything's going to be shot, so getting the story, and then the words just flowed out of me once I got on location. (laughs) So I spent two or three weeks in Oregon just figuring out situational stuff. And then I went to the writing process. As far as Lion, that was just a uh, blessing in disguise. He was just supposed to be a camera guy, and that's it. But he took on way more, and without him, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Now, the location is so important here. And this is, was it shot on the same property where the Susan Monica murders occurred and the pig feast. So it's actually that right there. Yeah, it's neighboring property. So strange things lined up. There's many things that lined up. But on my trips up there to try to figure out situational action, shooting, uh, we started running into people. And the locals liked the story. And we ran into the guy with the cabin. And my friend from Oregon kind of knew him. He's a realtor. And they went out of town and let us have the house. <laughs> so with free range, it's neighboring Susan Monica's house. Wow. So now yeah. I've got to ask you, while you were up there shooting, did you find any human remains that, had, <laughs> that law enforcement hadn't uncovered yet? Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure those remains are gone. Uh, one of the neighbors is a... Uh, I said if I ever do a sequel, maybe I'll do it after the other neighbor. She is a uh, a wolf farmer, so she's like a wolf lady. Oh, my God. And, uh, <laughs> so we were surrounded by wolves, but that's that's about it. Now, I you've got 
your main location is this beautiful house because the premise of the story is group of friends led by Hunter, uh, Christmas time, go to vacation at Hunter's family's cabin in Oregon. And Hunter knows the story of the pig lady. But Hunter's friends who were there, uh, girlfriend, a, uh, girlfriend um, Brittany, then Adriana, and then Tyler. You guys are all there. A, an interesting group, the four of you, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting group. But it creates a really terrific dynamic and setup for when you get to that, the tail end of the second act and go into the third act where everything really explodes. Yeah. Uh, in full bore. Uh, so, I mean, just wonderful. But the house that you guys are in is beautiful. That place is gorgeous. And I love the way you and Lion and your other, and Chad and Garrett, the way you guys all work together, using the lighting, lighting inside the cabin for those night shoots. Yeah. Looked beautiful. So idyllic, so quiet. And then every once in a while, you got this huge pig uh, wandering <laughs> in the dark. Yeah. And even seeing it on screen freaks you out. I got to tell you, you do, yeah. not, you do not expect to see black pigs, these dark, wild, boar-looking pigs, uh, wandering through a front yard. Yeah, they're not easy to manage. That's for sure. Uh, well, that begs the question. Did you have a pig wrangler? We did. Uh, when I was up there by myself just trying to figure it out, we would go around to different pig farmers, and we ran into a guy, Lowell Bickle is his name. He's a retired teacher, and he has a pig farm. And he thought we were crazy, but we tossed <laughs> a few bills at him. He's like, okay. And uh, next thing you know, he's He's helping us out. He's letting us use our, his property as we can come and go at any time. Uh, how many pigs uh, were you wrangling for this production? We had about four or five. He has about 60 pigs, but I told him to get the biggest ones. Oh my. And then you do have a couple little baby ones. Yeah. And they're just yeah, so they cute. cute. They're adorable. Of course, opening the film with the butt of a kind of baby pig with poop coming out under his curly tail. That image kind of just stays with you. <laughs> got to yeah. tell you, got to tell you. But now you also, you also have an addition to the beautiful cabin, which really it's more than a cabin. It's a house. But then yeah. you have the pig ladies cabin. Now, was that on the property as well? Yeah, it's the neighboring property. Oh, my God. It's, it's vacant now, but, yeah, you can walk to it. Some of those scenes, we were actually right on her property line, some of the scenes in the woods. So, uh, yeah, it's close. Now, did you have to do any kind of set dress to the pig lady cabin? No. That, that, oh, uh, so the pig lady cabin, you mean where she lived? Yeah. The funny story about that is that one shot where the track slowly and the camera slowly zooms in on her. Mm -hmm. 
while she's eating. That was like the original image in my head two years prior, and I could just not find a house. Well, the pig farmer said, I got a pig house. It's nasty, but you can, and it was nasty. He said, but you can use it if you want to. And once I walked inside, I saw that big window. I was like, this is it. This is what was in my head. And uh, law of attraction, I got the house, and it was on the farm, close location. So it worked out. Oh, my God, Adam. It's like you were meant to tell this story. Yeah. Wow. Now, how did you and your cinematographers go about, because a lot of this is night shoots. Now, and I'm guessing because of how dark it was, you were shooting night for night. Yeah, we pretty much went all day, all night. How challenging was that uh, from a directorial standpoint? Because you've got your fire pit sequences, which I have to say are beautiful. The campfire sequences are gorgeous. Um, But as going through the woods and there is no light and you were very judicious and very cautious in how you were lighting the area for the camera, Mm -hmm. you didn't have a lot of, you didn't bring in a lot of light for those night shoots because we really get the texture, the layers of black as we're going into the woods. And that works really well. So I'm curious how you guys work that out. Well, as far as weather concerned, it snowed, it rained. So we bought a tent to put over the cameras. And the weather alone was quite the challenge. As far as the lighting, we just played with it. He would set it up and then, you know, we would say, is that too much exposure? We would kind of shoot the camera at that angle and walk in front of it and see if we could make out a body or make too much of it or not enough. And we just adjusted the backlighting for exposure and it came out. And then we had a full moon a lot of nights. On the full moon nights, we tried to go hard. I have to tell you, the full moon nights work so well for you, especially when you're within the forest itself. Yes. Because it gave even more shadowing and more depth perception. Uh, And it really, really worked to your advantage. Now, did the pigs cooperate while you were trying to shoot them? Did they make their mark? They did not. We all tried to lure them around with food, and we would go stand behind them so they'd go the opposite way. And then once they got in frame, we would tell everybody, clear the set, clear the set. (laughs) So sometimes it would take... 30 minutes to get the pig to go where you want it to go. So now what was more challenging, wrangling the pigs so they could make their mark or your your two-footed human actors? Or my two what? Or your two-footed human actors, which was more uh, difficult to wrangle? <laughs> I'd say the pigs. <laughs> <laughs> but now from a directorial standpoint... I'm very curious how cooperative and how well this this actor guy, Adam Ray Fair, took direction from director Adam Fair. You know, some... Well, um, I wasn't supposed to play that part. We had a Canadian guy, a pretty boy, had a bunch of followers, and he had some 
visa issue or something, and he couldn't go, so I filled in the spot. But once me and Lion Mitchell became friends, I would run it by Lion, you know, hey, should I do this? Should I do that? Does this look okay? Is this too much? Too many F-words and not enough? You know, things like that. So you didn't really have to direct yourself that much. You So if you gave a bad performance, it was on Lion. Thank you. <laughs> but you gave a beautiful, you gave a great performance. I, I really loved your performance in this. Now, was it difficult to cast this film? You have a very eclectic cast. Um, it did take some time. As far as the two girls, they were just, as soon as I sent out the audition, they came back like a week or two later, or a day or two later, and they had it memorized, and they were just crushing the scenes that I thought they were really going to have to stick. And so they put in the work, and they were willing to do the nudity. So I, I choose them rather easily. Everybody else, it took some time to find. Uh, one of the guys in the films, Siobhan or Marcus, he was in my acting class, oh, and he said, fabulous. if you ever make a horror movie, you've got to put me in it. He so, was fabulous. Half of it, yeah. I loved his character, and I loved his performance. And yeah, he's good. very unexpected, because you would not have thought him to be a fighter. Right. When we get into that third act, and boy, oh boy, Marcus was not going down without a fight. No. <laughs> you know, yeah. really impressed with Siobhan's performance. You did a great job with the casting. Now, how long was the shoot itself? Well, I didn't know if I was going to get to see it all the way through, so this was my first film. I went, we shot a week with the whole cast, and then we went back and edited, and then once I realized, okay, I think we got it. I shot all the hard things first, and once I realized we got a movie, then we went back. It was about a little over five weeks total as far as shooting. But the whole cast and crew being there, about two weeks. Mm -hmm. So then you did your pickups. Now, this is really interesting, the fact that you shot, you did your principal photography, you went right in to do an edit, and then you went back and did pickups. So many times, filmmakers, directors, when they shoot, they'll put it away for a while and not want to see an edit or work on an edit. Uh, they want to get some fresh eyes, some space between it. But that's not what you guys did. So no. that's really interesting. Um, how challenging, being your first film, were you in the editing room with Alex and Lion? What was this process like for you? And what were the editing challenges from a story perspective? Well, conveying what I wanted, I was in the room when, when me and Lion started editing, uh, but if you can imagine a guy dancing around a studio apartment trying to act out what he's wanting on screen. That was pretty much what it was at first. I was like, no, then this has to happen. Then this has to happen. And then he would throw in his two cents, and that's when I realized, we got a movie. Let's go finish it. 
uh, as far as the challenge, which I won't make a mistake on next time, is we had two regular computers, and rendering and loading time just slowed everything down so much. Mm-hmm. So next time I want better computers for editing mm-hmm. faster. So how long would you say that the final editing process was for you? Because you're going through, you've got to learn about color correction. You've got all of this to deal with. Yes. Uh, The bulk of it was done about a year ago. And then AJ came in at the end and did some final touches. And then the distributing company did some things with the sound. So pretty much we just got it completely finished. (laughs) Wow. Now, talk to me about what you've got. You've got a score happening here. Um, and the score definitely adds an undercurrent to this film without being overpowering. Um, you've got Marco Genovese and Lion doing the composing, the scoring. What were you looking for musically? I had a Spotify list that I was listening to, all scary music or EDM music. And when I would hear a sound or something, I would just save it. And then I sent that to those guys, Marco and uh, Lion, and they kind of took what I wanted and added to it. Wow. It works really well. And I've noticed this with a lot of first-time filmmaker, feature filmmakers, and in the horror genre, they'll go on overkill with the score. So the score is more or less leading the audience to what you want us to to think. That's not what you do here. You kept the score subtle. And a lot of that's in your sound mix as well. So it doesn't overpower. Yeah, that was an issue at first. I I remember the first time I saw his first sound design, I was like, dude, this sounds like a concert. Like, (laughs) with too much music. And some of my favorite movies, like No Country for Old Men, there's very little sound at all. So I wanted some silence. I wanted some background sounds. And then when the timing's right, heavy music. Yeah, I mean, I like the mix, the sound mix, with the sound and the score, so that nothing is over. Our attention, you don't take our attention away Mm -hmm. from the mystery of the pig lady. Because this really is a mystery. Yes. As to what the heck is wrong with this woman. <laughs> exactly. Um, and of course, we're not going to give it away. But people have to watch this to the bitter end. Because boy, oh boy, have you got a big surprise for them. Well, I hope... Uh, people view it, that's for sure. I mean, just, I did not see that coming, Adam. I can tell you that right now. Good. I did not see that coming. And I actually had to watch that part again about four times. <laughs> because it was just mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. But, but, of course, it's a nice bookend to what you open the film with as well. Meaning, uh, not a happy ending, but what what do you mean by that? 
Well, with what we see unfold at the be- very beginning of the film. Uh-huh. With the woman in the the pig barn. Yes. So it's a great bookend for, oh, okay. for us. Yeah. So you wrap that up very nicely. So now, being your first film and wearing multiple hats here, was it hard for you to juggle those hats? Because here you are, Adam Director. Now, okay, you've got Lion directing you when you're uh, Adam, the actor. Uh-huh. But then there's also, in the background there, you've got Adam, the writer. Uh-huh. So who had the final say? Who, which hat spoke the loudest to you while you were directing? I mean, it would go me and then Lion. Okay. And Lion's completely easy to work with, and me and him can talk ideas. If it's a stupid idea, we tell each other it's stupid. If it's a good one, we come together on it. But it it was hard wearing many hats. Uh, I definitely need some production assistance next time. (laughs) But that means you need more money to make the film, too. Yeah, yeah. So you need a bigger budget next time. Now, yep. do you have plan any plans set for another film at this point, or are you just gonna uh, ride this wave of Pig Lady? Uh, no, I'm I'm gonna start. I'm already in the process of uh, the creative process of the sequel, um, Son of a Pig Lady. Oh my God! So I'm going to go out, fly out there at the end of the summer, and. Try to start figuring out the locations. I already know the story. And then there's a few other projects I want to work on that's within region or, you know, within budget. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really don't want to stop. So now for the sequel, will it be shot in the same area, same location again? It'll be in southern Oregon, yes. Okay. So we may not see the same house or the same pig lady shack. But it'll be in the same geographic area. Correct. And that is a beautiful place for filming. Oh, yeah. But it's also an incredible creative community for filmmakers. Yes. Everybody's supportive, for sure. But it it is gorgeous there. When you get on top of a mountain and look out, it's, it's a gorgeous part of the country. Well, now, how does that compare for you coming from Tennessee? Tennessee has some beautiful lush regions as well absolutely uh we're, i mean we're in far east tennessee as far as you can go east so we're right in the middle of the appalachian mountains uh so we have we have some gorgeous stuff as well i've been through the appalachians and it's just gorgeous yes, absolutely gorgeous was it difficult finding your crew in southern oregon for this film um, it was a little bit of a challenge, you know, in LA, it was, you get all kinds of entries. Everybody sure. wants, you know, there's more participants in LA, but I wanted the pig lady to be from Oregon and, you know, it's cause we just randomly needed her odds and ends. You know, she wasn't there the whole time, like the four actors. So it worked out good that she was down the road, and she was completely cool. She let us crash at her house in her RV, which saved me some money on the motel rooms. 
Oh my gosh. And uh, Jesso, the co-creator, we all piled in his house too. So they saved me money. <laughs> That's the name of the game. Yep. That's the name of the game. So now I've got one last question for you, Adam. I've got to ask you. You came all the way from Tennessee to Oregon to make your first film. You know, what is it about filmmaking that speaks to you, that makes you want to make films and travel across the country to do it? I think it was just being raised up in the 90s. We had so many good films and action stars, and I always uh, just like film, and I liked, uh, you know, every part of the film. You know, you watch a movie with people, and they say they like the movie, and you ask them why, and they're like, I don't know. It was just good. When I would actually dissect it at a young age, be like, oh, was it this line? Was it these words? Was it this kill scene? Well, you know, uh, so... I didn't know what I was doing, so I wanted to get my hands dirty, and I started by just acting and going to acting class. And then I learned from all the, my peers, and they helped me and coached me. And uh, at some point, I'm like, I can do this. Well, you have certainly proven that you can do this with Pig Lady. I've got to tell you. Uh, I know it comes out digitally on August 22nd. I can't wait for people to see this film. I, of course, now cannot wait for the sequel. <laughs> uh, I am very excited about it. Uh, I didn't know what to expect with this film. I am beyond, beyond thrilled with what I see on screen from you. And uh, you definitely know how to tell a story. How to tell us and that. to tell it visually as well. Mm -hmm. You really knew how to work with the tools in the toolbox. And work with your collaborators. Uh, yep, that's the name of the game. To the best possible advantage. Oh, my God. Adam, this has been so wonderful getting to talk to you about Pig Lady. I hope we get to talk again about Son of Pig Lady uh, <laughs> as soon as, as you get to make that. Uh, so now, are you you're in Tennessee right now? Yes, I'm currently in Tennessee. How's the weather in Tennessee right now? How gorgeous is it? Oh, it's been raining for like four days straight. <laughs> but everything grows. And we got lots of green. So you got to have some rain to have some green. That's for sure. Oh, Adam, I can't thank you enough. And sincerely, I hope you'll come back on the show again with any, of your, with any of your next projects. For sure. Adam, thank you so much. And you Thank have, you for having me. And here's to a wonderful release on August 22nd. All right. Fingers crossed. And toes. And, pig, yep. and pigtails. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye. And that was Adam Ray Fair, director, co-director, co-writer, and actor. Pig Lady. Based on true events, people. You can't make this stuff up. Um, so that is all the time we have today. We did run over, but at least as I promised Pam for her birthday, she got to be entertained by the Pig Lady movie. And for those of you uh, listening, watching on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page, you will see Ivan broke out one of my prized possessions, uh, 
my pig, a pig, that stuffed pig I've had for 49 years that my brother Eddie gave me for Christmas when I was 16. Um, let you know how demented my family is, if you haven't already figured that out. But, so, in honor of Pig Lady, Pig even got brought to the set today. So, that is all the time we have today. Next week, packed, we got two live guests. Ray Spivey is going to be talking to us about Storage Locker. And Max Gold going to be talking to us about Bell. And boy, oh boy. That's an interesting one. So, until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. 